This is a Mortarbox Media Podcast. For more podcasts and to learn how we can help you create your own, visit mortarboxmedia.com. Welcome to Chill Filtered, the podcast where we drink whiskey so you don't have to. But you probably should. Today's a special episode, actually. Adam uh, Rostad is very sick once again, and last week we actually took a week off because of Adam's. He's got like um, some cough that's like taking him down. Uh, so uh, cross your fingers for him. I hope he feel be- hope he feels better very soon. Uh, but I got a special guest today, and he's a returning guest. Our first returning guest actually of the podcast and that's john montero and we're doing another episode on uh cocktails and we'll get into that in a second um, but first i wanted to talk about some business uh, if you can uh, like subscribe uh, write a review for us on apple Podcasts, google play anything like that we would really appreciate the followership and uh, we'd appreciate the input whenever we can. Five-star reviews mean more people are able to see us, uh, and reviews really show us what we can grow in, what we can develop in the podcast. I believe this is like episode almost 80. It's coming up on 80. This very well might be 78, which would actually mark a year and a half, which I think is pretty cool. Um, But uh, if you are able to support us in any way, you can also hit us up on Patreon, uh, which is a way to support us financially up to, you know, anywhere from $1 to who knows how many dollars a month would be able to support us. And we really appreciate that. Uh, Helps us to be able to afford things like more bottles, more audio equipment, or whatever it is. So we really appreciate the uh, Patreon supporters we have so far. Uh, Let me list them real quick. At least by first name, we got Robbie and Chelsea um, and Amara. Uh, We have Sarah and Tim. We have Jason. We have Carl. We have um, Caleb and oh man i hope i'm not forgetting anyone else right now uh if i am i'm so sorry and i'll try to follow back next week and give you a full name shout out um but yeah we really appreciate our patreon supporters i think that's all the business we needed to talk about so here's the podcast so john got you in again and uh really excited to uh do a podcast episode with you again well how was your uh, time what did you think about the first time yeah so it was very interesting it I've never been on a podcast before, so it, it was a little bit nerve-wracking, but uh, you made it uh, very enjoyable. Oh, I'm glad, yeah, and uh, even though Adam had a few things to say about our uh, discussion, I felt like it was a great, um, what do you call it, like a guest episode, and we did the old-fashioned one. It was probably in the 70 range, probably like 71 or something like that, maybe 72, um, but Adam's been sick a lot, as I mentioned. Uh, so yeah, just we're hoping he feels better and we're hoping he gets back on his feet. Uh, but yeah, he was like, he was feeling really rough, like worrisomely rough. So yeah, say a prayer if you can or whatever. Um, but anyway, yeah, yeah, so you had a good time. Um, today, I forgot to mention uh, thus far, we are drinking a special cocktail. But this special cocktail is actually um, different than last time, of course. We drank the old fashioned last time. But this time we're drinking the Sazerac cocktail, which actually has a lot of cool history. Um, but yeah, like I said, let's not get into that history yet. Um, so, so tell me, John, like, uh, what's new in your life since the last episode? Well, there's not been a whole lot in my life, but uh, my wife actually just finished her first semester of her master's. Hey, so. she, straight A's, right? Uh, she hasn't gotten a grade back on the second class. She got an A on the first one. Uh, the second one she's feeling really great about. 
Uh, she's And for those of you that don't know my wife, uh, she's getting her master's uh, in uh, curriculum and instruction uh, with an emphasis on autism spectrum disorder. Uh, she works with kids with autism, and it's just her passion. I don't know how she does it. She comes back with the craziest stories, uh, but she has the most fun, I think, doing that, and she has a lot of fun studying it because she wow. is she's just killing it uh, in, in her master's degree. That's awesome. I... Uh... I, I really respect Aubrey for that because she, um, you, I talked to, even Robbie Dedlow is uh, one of our bigger listeners. He, uh, he's not big in size. He's just one of our favorite, or one of, I don't know how to put this. Robbie's awesome. And, um, but Robbie is also a special education teacher. And, um, and I, and I know Robbie really enjoys his job. Um, but I see Aubrey and I'm like, this is what she was meant to do. And I think like Robbie was very much meant to do it as well. But it just shines with Aubrey, which I'm really excited for her about that she's in the career field she wants to be in. Uh, anything else fun going on? Well, uh, I'm in the middle of a couple of vacations. So I took a week off for, for the Thanksgiving holiday. And then I have another one coming up here for Christmas. So just trying to close out the year, finish up work. Uh, not a lot going on right now. Uh, we're just waiting for a couple of couple of things to to finish up and close up so that uh, I can I can get on the road next year and and start doing some work. We're gonna have to do a road trip, me and you. As I, as I like to say, a road trip. A road trip. You know, I I've had a few road trips and and some great some great dudes I've gone on road trips with. But I feel like we would have a really good time. Plus, I get 25 days PTO this year. I probably shouldn't brag about that because that's like a lot for a second year employee. Um, but I'm stoked about it. I, I just don't even know how I'd use it all. Yeah, that's a, that's a lot of days. I'm I'm coming up on year six with my company, and I'm just now getting 21. Oh, so, dang. Yeah, so your 25 is making me a bit jealous. Did you get a rollover, though? No rollover. No, with, roll- no. Yeah, we talked about that, actually. That's rough. Um, I get a I get twenty days PTO, but I get a five rollover, which is super but, nice. But it does make me feel a bit better about asking to take it off because I can't roll it over. So the management is a bit more understanding. Like, hey, you earn this time, make sure you take it. Yeah, yeah, and that and that's more legit when you're just like, all right, I'm going to use it up, and they got to deal with it. I guess that's cool. Um, what else is going on? So I guess like personally in my life. I'm trying to think. I don't want to give too much. I guess I could talk about life. Uh, I want. I normally leave it for Adam to to dig into. Um, but yeah, what have I been doing? Work's been crazy. Um, and I think I mentioned recently that on the last episode that like I had stopped drinking caffeine, and that's been like an amazing thing for me. I don't know how you do it. Uh, <laughs> I well, live off of caffeine. I still. I wake up at 4:45 and like stay awake, which is crazy because that was the biggest reason I didn't want to go off of caffeine. Because I was like, I still need to wake up early because I enjoy the mornings. I really enjoy being up. But luckily, for those out there who are considering jumping off of caffeine, you can still wake up in the morning. As long as you ease yourself off, for sure. Um, but yeah, it's been good. I Work has been a little bit busy. But I finished two like, um, really big um, like presentations last week. And they were like awesome. And apparently I did really well on them. Uh, which was super cool, and then I've been growing peppers. Yeah, so about that. <laughs> yeah, we, I walked into the recording studio this morning, and I saw a glowing light a coming glowing out, purple light. light coming out of the closet. I said, "Hey, Cole, what are you growing there, buddy?" Yeah, it's just oregano, man. Um, no, I every almost every year, except for last year, I um, grow peppers, and I really enjoy like hot peppers for the most part. I really enjoy like growing them and just like watching them grow. I'm like I'm like one of those fathers that's like. 
watches from afar and I'm like, I'm so proud of them. And that happens with Peppers. So like people are like, wow, you'll hopefully be a good father because uh, you're like, you're very like, uh, what's the word? Like emotionally involved, <laughs> which is super funny. Um, but I very much enjoy um, just like watching them grow. It's like I me, mean, I, every day I like kneel down on the ground, at least they're indoors right now until Phoenix gets a little bit warmer, uh, which will probably be early February. Um, but we'll, um, yeah, like I just watch them grow, but I I like kneel down on the floor and like, just look at them and see how they've grown the last day. It's pretty funny actually. And I will say though, that you do make some great hot sauce. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I've gotten to sample some of it. I think the ghost pepper one that you made, and there was yeah. a what was the other one that you uh, gave when you had them over to when you made chick- oh that, that was fried the chicken. Um, I didn't grow those, um, but I made a um, pineapple uh, Thai chili um, hot sauce, which turned out pretty good actually, and it was fermented too. It was it was very good. It was kind of weird with with the uh, fried chicken, mm-hmm. but I would say that if I had it with something else, it would have been amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it probably has it seen somewhere, but it's got that Thai chili like heat that like shows up later. You're like, oh, and I gotta get you some some seeds for like the Hawaiian chili peppers that I was telling yeah. you about. Yeah, get your friends to send them. So yeah, those who don't didn't listen to the old fashioned episode, John is from Hawaii, grew up there, and he's got connections still. Many connections. Still a family. Still go back uh, once or twice a year. Yeah. Uh, my my wife does not complain when I say, "Hey, I want to go home and visit family." She says, "All right, when are we going?" <laughs> Seriously, that's kind of a nice thing. So, like in my mind, I'm thinking you must get like discounts because you're a native, but that's probably not the case plane wise or like air airfare wise. Yeah, no, not for the travel. But when you're there, uh, if you have a, a Hawaii ID, you can. Uh, unfortunately, I'm a resident of Arizona now, so I don't have that ID anymore. Wait, they literally give an airline discount? No, not for oh, the airline. Okay. Just, okay. just for businesses that are there, like, really? you'll get like a 10 or 15% discount. Low yeah. Or like a native discount? Yeah, it's called a Kamaina discount. So it's, That's so yeah. cool. And then actually some hotels there do give a discount uh, because they realize that, hey, People that live yeah. here kind of want to stay at these hotels that are expensive, so mm-hmm. they give a bit of a discount, which is nice. Yeah. But I, I travel enough for work that I end up pointing out all yeah. of the hotels stay anyway. That's funny. Yeah, yeah, John does a lot of travel. When's your next? You got a trip coming up? Nothing planned, but yeah. in 2020, there we have a couple of big projects that are in the pipeline, mm. so very likely that I'll be traveling a lot. Do you know where yet? No, I don't. Yeah, that's cool. It, it'll be anywhere around the country. Yeah. So it could be it could be anywhere on the West Coast, East Coast, yeah. mid- Midwest, so literally anywhere. Yeah. And I guess I just thought of this before we get into the history of the Sazerac cocktail and all that. Uh, before that, I wanted to bring up Bourbon Charity and just give a little shout out to them. They're great. They um they just finished their uh Thanksgiving um what? Oh, why am I blanking on the name of their fundraiser? Um Oh, uh, six millionth barrel to give thanks. Um, and they just raised 69 plus thousand dollars, uh, for, wow. um, some of the, um, charities like, uh, Boys and Girls Club of, uh, I believe the East Valley in Phoenix area, um, Charity Water, um, the Prostate Cancer Foundation and, or was it Prostate? Yeah, I think it was Prostate. And then, um... What is the other one? Oh, the Fisher House and then um, Children's Tumor Foundation. So if you haven't heard of uh, Bourbon Charity yet, they're doing amazing things. It's been cool because they're actually in the Chandler, uh, Arizona area, which is right near where we live. And I love hanging out with them. I love like 
you know, helping out and volunteering when I can. It's pretty much the easiest way to volunteer for me because it's like we get together, work on things, and then drink. So it's like not even serving. It's not even sacrificial. So um, it's a cool way. If you're in the Chandler area, maybe consider checking it out. But if you're not, maybe consider checking their website out. He didn't ask me to do this. I'm just really proud of their fundraiser. To They almost raised $70,000. So it's pretty cool stuff. Um, I guess that's all the... Uh, the uh, as uh, Adam says, the BS time or the, um, the shooting the breeze time, as I like to say. Um, so we'll get into the Sazerac cocktail history just after this break. Anything else uh, you wanted to talk about, John? Any any um, notes from previous uh, podcasts or anything? Uh, I I will say that there was a, an interesting Instagram post this week uh, of, a, <laughs> of an of an old fashioned that looked like it was from your counter. So yeah, I, that was. So I would assume that it was made the correct way. Yeah, yeah, it was made with whiskey, and um, and we'll actually talk about that a little bit in the history of the Sazerac because the Sazerac has had also different uses of spirit or different types of spirit that go into the cocktail. But uh, I guess we'll get into that right after this break. <laughs> It is, uh, it is the Sazerac uh, cocktail episode of the cocktails version of the... Because I didn't want to... I Basically, here's what, it, here's what it is. Is that I save all the, the um, whiskeys for Adam. And then when we do special episodes, we might either reuse a whiskey we've already had or do a cocktail. So we haven't really done the Sazerac yet. I mean, we've only done one cocktail episode. But here, I wanted to first start by giving my recipe for the Sazerac cocktail. Now there are a few for sure. You can make a lot of variations. But if you're gonna make a double, um, I recommend doing three ounces of rye whiskey. Today's, though we're drinking actually a Sazerac as we as we sip, I mean as we talk. So just so everyone knows, we are enjoying that at the moment. It's a little early in the morning. It is uh, just past 11 a.m. But it's five o'clock somewhere. It exactly is. <laughs> There's at least 510 somewhere. Um, but, um, yeah, for a double, I recommend three ounces of rye. I used Willet rye three-year. Uh, one ounce of simple syrup, uh, and I use a two-to-one ratio of sugar to water. Seven dashes of Paycod bitters, but I'm going to change that to 14 because that was for a single. So 14 dashes of Paycod bitters. Uh, rinse the glass in absinthe. So like pour it in, spin it around, and pour it out. Uh, one lemon peel, and sadly, I ran out of lemons, so I used the orange peel and then ice. Um, basically, you mix it all together, rinse the glass, put the uh, lemon peel in the glass, and then strain out all the uh, ice. And it's definitely the best recipe I've ever made of a Sazerac. And, um, and I use an old-fashioned glass, and that's the traditional way to do it, is an old-fashioned glass. Uh, we're drinking as we, as we do the episode, but we'll give some basic notes uh, kind of after the history, uh, but mostly we'll just talk. Um, as some of the listeners already know, the Sazerac was originally a cognac cocktail, and that was like the origin of uh, Sazerac. And it was made apparently with a, um, I'm totally going to butcher this, like super butcher this in the French, uh, made with Sazerac de Forge et Fils. <laughs> and that's totally like, like there's no way that like I, but I always blow it on the you were, French pronunciation. You were just in Paris. You didn't pick up on, on the French while you were there, Francois? I don't know how 
the is it Francois? No, that's that's Francais. A, that's, a, that's Francois the name. Yeah, <laughs> I, I know a couple of Francois. Okay, I'm like, wait a second. No, probably Fran- yeah, Francais. Um, I, if I were to try the Sazerac de Forge, um, eh, fees? I don't know, but it's a brand of cognac, and it was originally made with cognac, absinthe, um, pecod bitters, and sugar which pretty much matches my recipe, although I use simple syrup and not a sugar cube. And then, of course, you got to add the, um, the lemon peel. Um, but close to like pre-Civil War New Orleans is where things started to change. Um, and apparently the Sazerac is the official cocktail of New Orleans. Did you know that? I did not know that. Now you know. It is not the hurricane. <laughs> um, the, the hurricane is apparently like three types of rum and like passion fruit juice. And have you ever been to New Orleans? I have not. You well, know? actually, I take it back. I have been there when I was driving to Miami. Uh, so did you stop? Passed through. I think we, we stopped for dinner at mm. a Buffalo Wild Wings. So not, nothing too exciting. You went exciting. to New Orleans <laughs> and you stopped at a Buffalo Wild Wings? Say, we, we, were, we were in a hurry. Yeah. We, were, we were in a hurry. We were trying to get to Miami within, a, within two days. Oh, uh, from, two days from, from Phoenix. Phoenix. So, and we, we managed to get there in 41 hours. What? Yeah. So, uh, nothing like the cannonball run that was just accomplished. Oh, uh, tell me about that. Yeah, you told me. Oh, so, yeah. tell everyone. Yeah, so, so it's a bit of a tangent, but cannonball run is a, a race from, uh, it's an unofficial illicit race, so please don't, <clears throat> please don't go out and do this, but it's from Manhattan to L.A., Wow, and these guys did it in something like twenty-seven hours. What? And they they broke the previous record, which was an average speed of what? The average speed of like a hundred three miles per hour, with a top speed of one hundred ninety-three. And they had it, like they had it, like pacers or not pacers. They, like... they had like scouts, like twenty scouts that were out ahead of them, making sure they didn't see cops. They had a guy in the back seat with binoculars to make sure uh, the cops so didn't see him. Uh, they had you know the radar detectors. They had scramblers, like everything they could possibly have to make sure that they wouldn't get caught doing this. Yeah, uh, is it like a YouTube video? I don't know if it's on YouTube, yeah. but it's been all over the news. That's so funny. So, like, news in terms of like bad or good? Um, uh, indifferent, I guess. Yeah. It's more more of an admiration of, yeah. of wow, these guys accomplished something really cool. Yeah, but please don't go and do this yourself. Yeah, for sure. So I've been to New Orleans, um, probably three three to five. Now let's see, probably four to five times. Uh, I went um, back in. 07 and 08 for Katrina relief and that was just kind of a fun service project that I did and then I went again in 08 that summer twice in that summer I went and then so I guess like four times because we went Heather and I for our first anniversary we stayed at a a cool air or not an Airbnb a bread just a typical bed and breakfast it was called the H.H. Wilton house if you're ever on Esplanade uh, in uh, downtown near downtown or like near the French Quarter in New Orleans check it out two great guys uh, gay guys and one complimented my eyes and I was like thank you because Heather never tells me these things it was kind of a funny situation he like stopped in the middle of a conversation he's like I just have to tell you you have the most beautiful eyes and I'm like thanks man because she never tells me these things <laughs> anyway that's just a funny story um, great great hosts I forget what their names are but amazing people um, and uh, yeah New Orleans is great get some beignets get some uh, Cafe Du Monde Get some uh, alligator sausage and hit up the swamps. What I love about uh, New Orleans is the smell. And anyone who's been there, like, understands what I mean. Like, it is, there is this smell to New Orleans. You mean the, the pee in the streets? No. It's similar to Manhattan, where, <laughs> yeah. like, you walk around and all you smell is just 
homeless piss. Although Bourbon Street is um, Bourbon Street is known for its uh, open container absence of laws. Uh, you can just walk around that whole, or even like the French Quarter, particularly. You can walk around open container all the time. And isn't there like a drive-through where you can get? Oh yeah, uh, strawberry daiquiris. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah you, as long as your straw is not in the um, cup, you can't get uh, you can't get DUI or like drinking while driving, basically, which is so funny to me. Um, not a good thing, in my opinion. Um, but anyway, uh, there was a guy named uh, Sewell E or Sewell T Taylor. Uh, who sold his New Orleans bar called the Merchant Exchange Coffee House. And he started importing, among other things, some Sazerac de Forge at Phil's <laughs> Cognac. Um, so apparently the bar renamed itself to the Sazerac Coffee House and started serving uh, Cognac Sazeracs uh, and getting their bitters from actually a local New Orleans um, apothecary owned by an Antoine MD Paycod, which is where we get Paycod bitters, uh, which is kind of cool. Uh, it changed hands a few times, but eventually it got taken over by a very special Thomas H. Handy, uh, whose name is from whose name we get the Cast Strength Rye, uh, owned by uh, Buffalo or made by Buffalo Trace, which is owned by the Sazerac Company. And we'll get into that in a bit. Uh, but Mr. Handy was credited with making the switch when uh, from cognac to rye whiskey. And the reason was there was a bad phylozera um, epidemic in France. And so I like I looked this up because I like love sciencey things. Um, phylozera, I don't know how it's pronounced, but it's P H Y L L O X E R A. Phylozera. It's basically a native to North America sap sucking bug that is invasive in Europe. Do you know how invasive species work? No. You should know this. You're from Wait, Hawaii. Are, we, are you saying, do you know what these inspa- invasive no, yeah, species... Yeah, yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. I definitely know what invasive yeah, yeah. species so are like. Actually, please yeah. tell us because you're from yeah. Hawaii. Yeah. So Hawaii has some of the strictest quarantine and USDA uh, laws in the country mm-hmm. uh, because it's a it's a tropical place. Mm-hmm. It's the, one of the most isolated uh, inhabited places in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, you obviously have to get there either by boat or by plane. So uh, anything that comes in... That's not part of the native uh, habitat. Mm-hmm. It can really destroy the ecosystem. So they are very, very uh, careful about what comes in. Uh, even uh, going out, they make sh- they do a check to make sure that you don't take anything that's from Hawaii back yeah. to the mainland U.S. They like check your feet, basically. Like they're like wipe your feet hard so you don't like get off anything. Yeah. No, they they don't do that. Oh, that's <laughs> I think I remember that. Yeah, I mean they don't like check it, but they're like I don't know. I remember that when I was in Hawaii the one time. Um, but yeah, they're pretty serious. They're they're super serious yeah. about it, and they and they they figured out some of the pitfalls of bringing in species that are not meant to be there. Yeah. Uh, they for example they they brought mongoose to the island to take care of a pest issue. The um, old fix the yeah. pest with another pest. Yeah, but the, but the problem is that the the pests that the mongoose are trying to fix were nocturnal, and the mongoose were uh, daytime. Ooh. So they so the mongoose never encountered the pests that they were intended to take did out. The mongoose like take over, or oh, did yeah. they die? No, they proliferated. Oh, yeah, they're, they're they're like almost as bad as rabbits. Like they're all really? over the place. Yeah. And it was just because someone brought them in. Yeah, that's to, funny. Yeah. They didn't really think through the the whole. You know, oh well, this they're a predator, but they need to make sure that the prey are awake. <laughs> And not asleep and hiding. That's so funny, though. So they probably ate other things, killed them off, and took over themselves. Yep. Yeah. Um, but anyway, Phylozera is, yeah, they, like a, a bug. It's almost like an aphid. 
and they're sap sucking and they're invasive in Europe, which basically in like in long story short, invasive means they're local to some place, but not to another. And they're not meant for that habitat, which is basically exactly what you said. Um, basically, it eats grapevines and kills grape plants. No grapes, no brandy. Uh, I wrote that weird. Yeah, and basically no breaks, no no grapes, no brandy, and no original Sazerac cocktails in the U.S. So that was in the mid-1800s. Um, so rye, which is an American-based, uh, for the most part, an American-known uh, spirit, whiskey, um, is became the standard in New Orleans and the U.S. basically for the cocktail. And um, yeah, basically, I looked into it even more. This great French wine blight, which was caused by the Phylozera uh, of the mid-1800s, was like apparently devastating to French wine and their winemakers. Uh, it almost completely wiped out the wine industry in France, which is like crazy because it was huge. And it still is huge. Um, but eventually they found that they were like trying everything. They're like, let's add toads to the area of the, the uh, grapevines so that they can try to eat up all the bugs, but that didn't work. And they tried pesticides and actually they didn't work. So the, the only thing that really worked was they found American grapevines and they took grafting branches and they, um, sorry, I got a hiccup. Um, and they took, um, and they grafted them onto French uh, vines and basically that kept the uh, the phylozero away, which is super cool to me that like by grafting one branch, it like cleaned up the whole plant. Uh, but that's apparently, so America is uh, to blame for great French wine, uh, everyone. And uh, yeah. And so, and now also you're telling me that uh, it was genetically modified. Yeah, it so, so, was. So, so now we drink genetically modified yeah. wine. So French wine, you're welcome. <laughs> or French people, you're welcome. Um, so that's how it fixed it. Yeah. Anyway, the rye Sazerac was born and, uh, eventually the Sazerac company and it, not even eventually like Thomas H. Handy himself, uh, started the Sazerac company, uh, one of the most big and successful liquor conglomerates in the world. And it was started in new Orleans by, by Thomas H. Handy. Uh, now the Sazerac company owns nine distilleries, including Buffalo Trace, uh, Barton, a. Smith Bowman and Glenmore, among others, and it's headquartered still technically in New Orleans. Uh, as I always finish my um, history with, the total wine price is whatever you're willing to spend on a good rye and get the Paycod bitters and, you know, lemon peel and all that. Don't overdo it. I actually considered doing Thomas H. Handy because I have a bottle of that, but then I was like, I just have too much respect for myself and the bottle, so I decided not to, and I used Willet three year. So that is the history. Um, what do you think uh, taste-wise? What, what, what is the dominant um, taste you're getting, John? Uh, I, I definitely, the bitters come through mm -hmm. uh, pretty strong in this. And in what way are they bitter? Like, like what would you like? Because there's a candy that comes to mind when I drink this Sazerac cocktail. Yeah, I, I can't think of a candy, but I'm thinking of like, okay, this may sound weird, but Luden's cough drops a little mm -hmm. bit. I get cherry. Yeah, yeah. I'm getting like a, I mean, Paycods as well as Absinthe is known for their anise um, flavor. And actually a good um, um, substitute for Absinthe is Herb Saint, which is like a, a strong amount of anise, which people say it just tastes like black licorice. Um, I don't like black licorice at all. 
but I can very much appreciate a Sazerac cocktail. But there's that like lingering flavor to it. And then what's what's the color, John? So it's uh, I would say it's an a little darker than it's an orange amber. Mm-hmm. I would even or, go like there. reddish. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and I what you failed to mention is when you said that you didn't have lemon so you just grabbed an orange you, you went out to your backyard and grabbed an orange from your orange tree god bless arizona where citrus trees thrive <laughs> yeah we got like a little one it's kind of cool and i'm digging it because i was worried it was a grapefruit plant when the when the fruit was unripe it was like green of course and i was like please don't be grapefruit because i like don't like grapefruit i guess i like in a way it's like i don't prefer it no no i actually don't like grapefruit but it, it's good in Lacroix. That's true. The, the pamplemousse? Yeah, the pamplemousse. <laughs> exactly. So, um, yeah. So, But I'm loving it. I got my own fruit tree, and I got my own pepper plants growing in the closet it, with, the, with the light showing up on the bottom of the door. <laughs> um, but they're doing well. Just in case anyone wonders, I will be definitely talking about my pepper plants. Actually, now that I think about it, in the beginning of this podcast, in the first like probably 20 or so episodes, I was growing maybe even more than that. Actually, more than that. It was, um, no, probably about the first uh, 30 episodes. I probably talked about my pepper plants a lot. So everyone out there who's been a, a, what do you call it? Like a loyal listener. Loyal listener. You, this is no surprise to you that I'm growing peppers again. So, um, yeah, I like it. It's sweet. It's, um, it reminds me of New Orleans because whenever I do go, I like to get a Sazerac. Yeah, I was about to say that it is very sweet. Mm. Uh, It, is that because of your a two to one simple syrup versus the traditional one to one? I would say so. Although when I did work at that whiskey bar in uh, Virginia, this was like people said this is the best Sazerac they've ever had. So usually, I, I think a little sweet is a little better for a Sazerac. But yeah, I think that's what it is. Is you do a one to three ratio of of simple syrup to uh, rye whiskey. And but if you have a two to one ratio, I can do all the math for you, but it's probably boring. Um, but I like it a lot. Um, let me see how we're we doing on time. Oh, we're doing good. I think it might be time, unless or you know what? I'm not going to give a rating. There's no rating. You can't you can't rate a cocktail, I guess. But I, I guess what I would say is on on John's scale, it is yeah. very drinkable. Very drinkable. <laughs> I like that. This should be a John scale for cocktails, especially. Yeah, and on the cold cocktail scale, it would be never against it. Um, so I think it might very well be time. And John is very prepared for this portion of the show, but it is time now for our favorite, and that's debatable part of the show. That's called Whiskey World News. All right, we're back for Whiskey World News, and John is going to take over now and give a cool article, and I'm going to, I haven't read it myself, so I'm going to react to it, and we're going to see what we think. So here you go, John. All right. So this article comes from the New York Times, titled, In a New World of Whiskeys, Australia Strives to Stand Out. Ooh. Uh, this is by Clay Ryson, uh, published on December 3rd, 2019. While distillers around the globe imitate scotch, Australians are innovating to create something distinctive. Is the whiskey world becoming more like the wine world? These days, not only does every state in America have a distillery, Hawaiian single malt, anyone, 
but so do many countries far beyond the whiskey heartlands of Kentucky and Scotland. France, Germany, India, Japan, and even Taiwan and Australia yeah. all have robust distilling industries. So does that mean we can distinguish a Highland Scotch from an Indian single malt the way we can tell a Burgundy from an Oregon Pinot Noir? That we can talk about whiskey in regional terms as we do wine. That's a cool idea, but go ahead. Keep yeah, going. so it says yes and no. Uh, most of these world whiskeys, as they have come to be known, are Scotch clones made with malted barley using a traditional pot still. Just because there is whiskey made in Taiwan, that doesn't mean there is a style called Taiwanese whiskey. And many distillers are fine with that. The people at Kavalan, south of mm. Taipei, are brightly proud to make whiskey that is virtually indistinguishable in taste and quality from a Speyside drum. Uh, but in other places, regional styles are in fact emerging. Distillers in France, for example, have drawn on homegrown traditions associated with a cognac, eau de vie, to produce what is arguably a distinct style with its own sub-styles of French whiskey. Similar evolutions are underway in Germany and Austria. Nowhere is this push to develop a local style more apparent, though, than in Australia. Home to more than 40 whiskey distilleries, Australia is largely... 40 whiskey 40. distilleries? I yeah. only know Sullivan's Coke. Keep going. Yeah, so Australia is largely unknown as a whiskey-producing nation. Most of its distilleries are small, and almost all of their output is consumed domestically. Starward in Melbourne is currently the only one to regularly export in significant volume to the United States. That's beginning to change. And as it does, the country's distillers are looking around and asking, who are we? Their search for an answer is among the most exciting stories in whiskey right now. That's cool. Uh, though Australians have been making whiskey since the mid-19th century, the modern industry got started only in the early 90s, well, 1990s, that is, uh, when a land surveyor named Bill Lark, inspired by Scottish single malts, successfully lobbied against a law that effectively banned microdistilleries. Now, within a few years, the Lark Distillery and a handful of others, mostly on the island of Tasmania, mm -hmm. were producing small amounts of whiskey, almost exclusively for local drinkers and the occasional tourist. Critics and fans love these whiskeys, in part because they so carefully emulated their Scottish cousins. If you ripped off the label... They could have come from anywhere, said Robin Robinson, the hmm. author of The Complete Whiskey Course, released in October by Sterling Publishing. Uh, but over time, certain shared characteristics emerged that set these distilleries apart from Scottish traditions, like using brewer's malt instead of distiller's malt, and aging in smaller casks, both of which affect the whiskey's flavor. I like to think there is a common thread to Australian whiskey, Mr. Lark said. What we're getting is rich, oily malts that are different from your typical scotch. Then in 2014, a single malt from Sullivan's Cove, mm -hmm. a distillery in downtown Hobart, Tasmania, took the top prize at yep. the Whis World Whiskies Awards, a comp competition perennially dominated by scotch. Mm -hmm. The recognition vaulted Australian whiskey into global consumer consciousness, setting off a renaissance in the country's whiskey distilling and a different way of thinking about the craft. Uh, the new generation of distillers rejected the idea of making yet another single malt. The existing cohort, bourbon and scotch, didn't appeal to us, said David Vital, the founder of Starward. We wanted to create a modern, progressive whiskey that spoke to the place it's made, not just a variant on scotch, but a whole new animal. Fortunately, Australian distilling rules set by the government are significantly more relaxed than those in Scotland or the United States. You can shoot a cannon through our regulations, Mr. Vital said. As long as it's distilled from grain and spends two years aging in a barrel, it's whiskey. That gives Australian distilleries the freedom to mix and match with other styles from well beyond Scotland. Australia is the world's fourth largest bourbon export market. Wow. Yeah, and several new distilleries have introduced products influenced by American whiskey with heavy amounts 
of corn, rye, and wheat. Gospel Distillers in Melbourne recently released 100% rye whiskey, a style rarely found outside the United States. Uh, other distilleries nodding to Australia's robust wine industry age their whiskey in used wine casks. Nova, made by Starward, is aged exclusively in freshly emptied red wine barrels, which produce a fruitier, more tannic whiskey with fewer vanilla and caramel notes than the used bourbon barrels often employed to age scotch. Uh, and this article is actually pretty long. Uh, so just to, to close it up, uh, it says, and it's not just Australia trying to capture global attention with something distinctive. A decade from now, American drinkers may be reaching past the scotch bottles to check out the latest Dutch rye or German single malt. Mm. Which one of the regions will be the breakout hit? Mr. Robinson said, that's the arms race. So I, this is like... This is a really good article because one, it talks about like the upcoming, um, you know, whiskey scene, but also it like recognizes some the, the 40 distilleries in the whole uh, like nation continent of Australia is pretty cool to me. Um, but also I wanted to give a quick shout out um, to one of our listeners and he's, I don't think he's ever been shouted out besides a uh, Thirsty Thursdays episode. Um, but I wanted to give a shout out to Joel Bradbury, who is one of our listeners from Tasmania, which is so cool to me that we have listeners in Tasmania. So, Joel, we appreciate you. Um, check him out. His, uh, his Instagram handle is J underscore Hodes uh, 77. And that's H O D E S, so seventy-seven. And he's uh, he's a great guy. He lives. He listens to us. He comments all the time. We appreciate him. But he and he also hits us up, and he's like, in Tasmania, we get like crazy like antique collection bottles or um, or Blanton's like specialty bottles. And he's like, let me know if I can like send you guys something. And we're like, oh, that's so tempting because like, but like he even brought reached out recently and was like, hey, let me see, you know, about um. You know, we'll have to get the courier down to Tasmania. He needs somehow. to. He needs to get a passport. For yeah, sure. yeah, exactly. We'll have to make the the courier get a passport. And uh, but uh, but yeah, Joel's awesome. And um, uh, but I think it's pretty cool. I've actually had. Have you ever had a any other whiskeys outside of Scotland, Ireland, or Japan? Um, or Japan? Have you had Japanese whiskey? I have. Had oh yeah, that's it. right. Yeah. I've shared with you yeah. my. Uh, Yamazaki and, and the Hideki Harmony. Ooh, that's a good that, one. That's a really good one. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've actually one of my first big bottles. So on the blog I used to write, we had one of the first big bottles we bought was um, Sullivan's Cove, and it was their American Oak. Um, it was like a two hundred, excuse me, two hundred fifty dollar bottle, and um, my the guy I wrote the blog with, Trevor, he like loves that bottle. Like he like covets that like he like holds onto it and only shares it for good occasions it's a very good bottle of single malt uh whiskey and uh so they're doing great things out there and you mentioned they basically like have won a lot of awards but i think the cool thing about that article is more so like where's the next whiskey scene gonna be and i agree with you after even like disc or like reading or like listening through that article is that australia might very well be that place because and i think it'd be really cool if they like uh, unified and like made it like standardized because you know scotch has its rules irish has its rules japanese sort of has its rules america of course has their rules um but i would be really interested if there were like if there was a standardized 
Australian whiskey. But it, it's also kind of cool though for them to not have rules, and that's kind of, that's that's, true. that's partly what the the article was saying is that. What makes them distinct is that they aren't bound by all these other rules. That's a great that, point. That they can experiment and do all these really cool things yeah. and not be bound uh, by whatever rules for you know scotch and, yeah. and everything. So sometimes when you're at a liquor store and you see something titled American Whiskey, it cheapens the idea because it's not a bourbon, it's not a weed, it's not a rye, it's not any of that. And so you're like, oh, it's probably, and you like, I make assumptions on it. I think like, oh, it's not standardized in any way. It's just an American whiskey. Therefore, it's probably not good. But that's the crazy thing is like, even though um, in Australia, in Tasmania, where Sullivan's Cove comes from, as well as Joel Bradbury, um, there is like the single malt that isn't bound by any. Yeah, it's pretty cool to me. I like that. Um, it's almost like deregulation for, for whiskey. Yeah, exactly. It's like, it's like I have no limits, although they, they respect it though. Yeah. The cool thing about it is that they're not adding like flavor to Sullivan's Cove or anything like that. They're doing it in traditional methods without cheapening what it's worth. Um, I want to see if that continues though, because that's basically what happened in America. They found that corn and rye were super prevalent in grain and then they started producing and then people started adding flavor to compete and cheapen their whiskey basically and that's where things like the bottled and bond act came from or even the the acts in the um the laws that basically say what makes a bourbon a bourbon um so that's kind of cool to me yeah but i mean from the so i studied economics and Mm -hmm. the yeah so the the cool thing about it is that there's so much competition Mm -hmm. that in order to distinguish themselves they'll have to figure out a way to you know, make themselves that much better than everybody else. And when they aren't bound by the rules, they can, they have the freedom to do that. Yeah. And if they, and if they don't produce a great product, then it won't sell. True. And God bless America. (laughs) Because back in the, you know, back, back then there, there weren't a ton of options and people, you know, were, uh, may have been cheating the process a bit, Mm -hmm. but, but now with, with, in the age of the internet, people can figure out uh, a pretty good idea of, of what's in the mash bill and, and they can, um, they can really, uh, they're very discerning, so they know what they like and what they want. Uh, so I, Australia may be having uh, its uh, its own renaissance of yeah, whiskey. that's pretty cool to me. And uh, for those of you out there who ever get a chance, it's pretty hard to find. But if you see Sullivan's Cove, I highly recommend buying one. Um, they're pretty expensive, though. But um, my friend Trevor, who I mentioned, uh, he's really trying to look for one of the French oak varieties of Sullivan's Cove, which is about three to four hundred dollars apparently. But if you ever see one, let me know and I'll send it over to Trevor. Um, and then, um, so yeah, I guess that's that's pretty much uh, wrapping it up for Whiskey World News. Um, one thing I wanted to mention in regards to the Sazerac cocktail is I would think this would taste terrible with brandy. Um, but I love Wisconsin (laughs) and, uh, but uh, you know, it's funny, you know, a lot of these cocktails, Oh, I had a gin old fashioned the other day. Oh, really? Where? Just at home. Yeah. And I made it with uh, Hendrix. Um, but it was actually really good. It was very fruity and the Angostura bitters was really drawn out in a very fruity way with the gin. So which would you say that you prefer the traditional old fashioned, the Wisconsin old fashioned or the original gin old fashioned? Oh, that's so funny. I would say, or what what would be your ranking? I guess. Uh, yeah, I would put it at, at, you know, that's a good question. Actually. What would I put? I would put the gin before the brandy, but that's not because I'm, you know, as, uh, um, 
as Adam would say, I'm crapping on, he wouldn't say that word, crapping on Wisconsin. Um, I love Wisconsin and I talk about it all the time. For, the, for those of you who are living in Wisconsin, I, it was an honor to have lived in that beautiful state. Um, but the, the brandy thing is a little weird, but it's okay. It's okay. I apologize for hurting anyone's feelings, and, but and I, I, would put, I would put brandy a little bit behind the gin. And I would say that I need to reserve judgment because I, <laughs> I have not had the brandy old fashioned. So it very, well could, true. it very well could be that I fall in love with it. So I yeah. will keep an open mind. I will keep an open mind. Maybe uh, the next time that Adam is sick and you have me as a guest, we can do the brandy old fashioned. I actually have one of those, like, this sounds weird, but I have like a pre-mixed, um, I forget what the brand, it's Boxer, um, Boxer brand or something like that. Um uh, pre-mixed brandy old-fashioned and you're supposed to mix it with Sprite. <laughs> That's, I shouldn't laugh so hard. But you're supposed to mix it with Sprite and uh, add some cherries and some, um, uh, maybe an orange orange slice and like maybe mash it in there. Um, but that, um, I'll, I'll, I'll pour it for you and you might very well love it. It, it could be. And I, I am one to own up and eat crow if, mm-hmm. if that is warranted. So. Yeah, next time we do a cocktail episode, maybe it'll be a brandy old... Fa- oh, wait, no, no, this is a whiskey show. <laughs> yeah, maybe it won't be. Uh, but maybe you'll have sipped it by then. Yes. And then you'll know. And I then I will pass my judgment Yeah, in the form of the famed Roman <laughs> emperors. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, yeah, you'll, you'll give a good thumb, thumb left and then thumb up or down. Yeah, after that. And then we'll have to. I'll have to give a play-by-play for that for the podcast listeners. Um, so I think that's about it. Anything else you wanted to mention, John? Before uh, before we finish up. Well, so just really quick, you said that you can use other spirits in the mm-hmm. Sazerac, and what what were those? I don't think you ever covered. I that. guess you could use brandy. I guess you could use, but I think the traditional is either cognac slash. Oh, wait, wait, crap! I just I just caught myself in a lie. <laughs> Not a lie. Caught myself in trouble because I like the cognac old-fashioned more than I do the whiskey old-fashioned. So I apologize, Wisconsin, because cognac is brandy. <laughs> so I I truly do apologize. Uh, and Adam's going to laugh at this one. And Adam's going to love this one because, honestly, I've had... I had an Armagnac old fashioned that was one of the best cocktails I've ever made. And that sadly is brandy. (laughs) Oh, what have I done? And on that note. (laughs) Yeah. And on that note, we hope me and John and Adam hope that our love of spirits lifted yours.